The book of Revelation is probably the most exciting book in all of the scriptures. In the Come Follow Me for 2023, we study the New Testament. Think of this. The whole New Testament leads up to the book of Revelation. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who has studied the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. In Revelation 4, John the Revelator has a vision of the heavenly temple and the great council in heaven. Breck, in the last episode, we found ourselves in the great throne room that was like a theater. The children of God surrounded the throne as if they were in theater seats. What do they see in this theater? Okay, so everyone is dressed in white and seated in what feels like a theater. And the drama starts just as in the temple. The spectacle starts with a vast panorama of galaxies and stars. We see the whole eternal round of the universe God has created, just like in facsimile 2 in the book of Abraham. In ancient times, the Jews would decorate their synagogues with this cosmic picture. It was circular and represented the whole cosmos. It was divided into 12 sections, one for each sign of the zodiac. What is the zodiac? And why is it important to the Jews? The zodiac is an imaginary circle in the sky. It follows the path of the sun through the 12 months of the year. Each of the 12 divisions is associated with a constellation, usually named for an animal. There's the lion, the bull, the ox, the fish, and so forth. Now, the word zodiac is related to the Greek word for animal, zoon, which, from which we also get the word zoo. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Now, why was the zodiac important in Jewish religion? They marked time by means of the constellations at night. And the 12 signs of the zodiac enabled them to tell the time of the year for performing temple rites and the great festivals. So like, like Passover and the Day of Atonement. So the Zodiac was important to them because it was, a, it was connected with the temple. Also, the 12 signs of the Zodiac represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The Jewish Encyclopedia says that each tribe had a flag with a sign of the Zodiac on it. For example, the flag of Judah was the figure of a lion. Mm. And uh, that represented the constellation Leo. That's my birthday. I'm a Leo. You're I'm a Leo. Leo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, you would come under the flag of Judah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right on. Um, and the flag of Ephraim was the figure of a bull representing the constellation Taurus and so forth. Okay. These flags right. formed a circle around the tabernacle in the wilderness in, wow. in Exodus. So the circle of flags around the Holy of Holies mirrored the circle of the zodiac in heaven, surrounding the throne of God at the center. Can you see that in your mind's yes, eye? Yes, I totally can. That okay. really is very, very cool. All right. It's like a family circle. Each tribe has its own sign on earth and its sign in the sky. And the signs were the same as in the zodiac. Yes, an ancient Jewish text called the Midrash says this, quote, Just as the heavens cannot endure without the twelve constellations... So the world cannot endure without the 12 tribes, for the world was created for them. Breck, 
One of the puzzling features of the heavenly throne room is the four beasts that surround the throne. Could you explain what four beasts represent? Will we be discussing what happens in that council? Okay, let's read that passage in Revelations 4, 6, and 7. Quote, Round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Close quote. Now, so there's a beast in each corner of the throne room. Okay. Joseph Smith said that the beasts are, quote, figurative expressions of the heavens, and their wings a representation of power, and their eyes a representation of light and knowledge. Close quote. That's in um, Doctrine and Covenants 77. Interestingly, in, uh, in apocalyptic writings, um, stars are frequently called eyes. Mm. That's an important connection here because the beasts are actually signs of the zodiac. And they guard the four corners of heaven, north, east, south, and west. Joseph Smith said the four beasts, quote, represent this earth in its four quarters, close quote. And scholars agree with that. They know that the four beasts in Revelation stood for the four cardinal directions of the compass. Mm. The lion is Leo, the bull is Taurus. The figure of the man is what we call Aquarius. Interestingly enough, the Hebrews called it Adam. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's very interesting. And the eagle is Aquila in the house of Scorpio. The sun crosses each of these four zones once a year, and each sign signals a change of seasons. For example, the bull rises in the spring. The lion rises in the summer and so forth. Mm -hmm. As the year progresses, the sun moves through a gate from one zodiac house to another. At the summer solstice, the sun enters the sixth gate of the year with key constellation Leo, representing Judah, on the right, and Taurus, representing Ephraim, on the left. Important covenant promises apply to these two pillar tribes, right? Two pillars of the kingdom. Judah brings forth the Savior. Ephraim will gather the scattered family of Israel in the latter days. So in fact, simile two, two star systems represented by apes uh, worship the chief god on either side. Um, the Egyptians used apes as um, symbols of worshiping the sun or the, the holy god Amun. Because, and this is interesting, because when the sun rises, the apes would throw their hands up in the sky, like uh, over their heads. Like that. So they figured the, the monkeys and the apes were saluting the sun as, mm. it, as it rose. And mm. that's why they used apes to um, symbolize worshiping the chief god. As he arises. Wow. Now the four principal beasts shield the throne and survey the universe. It says, quote, they rest not day and night. It's in verse 8. Now a non-LDS scholar named Bruce Molina, who's an expert on the connection between the Bible and astronomy, 
He says this, quote, In all signs we find bright stars shining with awesome majesty, but regal ones only in four. That is Leo, the eagle, Aquarius, and Taurus. So these four constellations were royal constellations. Mm -hmm. In Solomon's temple, there were four cherubim who guarded the tree of life with a flaming sword which turned every way. In other words, in all directions of the compass. Two on either side of the Ark of the Covenant and one in front and one in back. So you remember that the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies represented the throne of God. It was called the mercy seat. Right, right. So the four beasts are the cherubim that guard the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Yes. Wow. You see, inside the Ark of the Covenant was a key token of the covenant. It was Aaron's staff that symbolized the tree of life. In the book of Numbers, Aaron's staff, which is just an ordinary walking stick, suddenly blossoms like a fruit tree as a sign that Aaron held the true priesthood. Now, the tree of life in the book of Numbers is an almond tree. The almond blooms before any other fruit tree in yeah, Palestine. We talked about that, yeah. So it symbolizes spring and life awakening from winter. The almond was therefore also a symbol of resurrection. Almond buds on the menorah also suggest the tree of life. Now, according to early Christian writings, this is a quote, the staff of Aaron sprouted and the dry wood brought forth. It was the virgin womb that gave birth, close quote. And that quotation is from a, um, an ancient book called The Typology of Mary that was uncovered some years ago. So the Savior's mother, like the almond blossom, was exceedingly fair and white, as we read in First Nephi. In, intriguingly, the word almond derives from a Semitic word that meant the great mother, the continuer of the lives. So the cherubim in the temple guard Aaron's sacred almond branch which symbolized the tree of life. Now you see how rich this symbolism is. Yes. Let me make sure I understand. The four beasts are the cherubim, and they are also the constellations in the zodiac. Exactly. Their function is to protect the holy of holies. Now, nobody is quite sure what the word cherubim means. It's a plural. It's the plural of the word cherub which in Jewish literature represented a celestial being of some kind that uh, functions as a throne bearer for God. In my opinion, okay, the cherubim are angels, and their tokens, like Joseph Smith said, are wings and eyes of power. And their function is to protect the Holy of Holies, where the throne of God is found. Also, they guard the four corners of the universe in order to watch over the entire creation. That's why they are symbolized by the four cardinal constellations located at the four cardinal points of the compass, north, east, south, and west. 
So now what happens in the heavenly throne room? Okay, the family council in heaven begins. It starts appropriately with a hymn and a prayer. The choir chants, quote, glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, close quote. The 24 elders bow and cast their crowns before the throne, acknowledging as kings and priests that they owe their exalted state to the Father. That's uh, verses 9 through 11, chapter 4. Now we come to the purpose of the council meeting, to lay out God's plan for redeeming his children. The plan begins and ends with a marriage. We see that Adam and Eve begin their journey toward eternal life when the Lord seals them in the Garden of Eden. At the end of the book of Revelation, there is a final sealing of bride and bridegroom when Adam and Eve complete the journey. Now, the premortal council launches the whole plan of God with a betrothal ceremony. Betrothal meaning um, an engagement party. Exactly. Without marriage, there can be no exaltation. Mm. Doctrine and Covenants 131. And that's why the marriage metaphor governs the relationship between God and Israel throughout all the scriptures. It's the governing metaphor of the scriptures, the marriage metaphor. It testifies of the great love the Savior feels for all mankind and of the blessings that await those who accept his invitation to become his sons and daughters, spiritually. In Israel, marriage was, and still is for many Jews, a two-stage process. First, the betrothal ceremony. In, um, in Hebrew, the shidduchin. Uh, that ceremony consecrated the bride and groom to each other. This is not like we do it, okay? Mm-hmm. The engagement was a consecration mm. of bride and groom to each other, but only on condition of their faithfulness. Uh, the couple were regarded as man and wife, but without the rights of marriage itself. If you violated the betrothal agreement, you face serious consequences. Mm. Um, engagements could be broken off. Uh, a promise might be set aside, but the betrothal was considered binding because it was entered into by a sacred oath and covenant. Okay, a non-LDS scholar, uh, Gordon Hugenberger, says this. For marriage to constitute a covenant, it must be accompanied by a ratifying oath or oath sign, such as the uplifted hand, which expresses an appeal to the deity to act as a witness, Mm. unquote. That's a non-LDS scholar saying that. In a sense, so Adam and Eve are sealed in Eden, but it was conditional, more like a betrothal than a final sealing. Okay. Okay, now to start the process, the groom and his father, okay, together, knock on the door of the bride's home. The bride's father opens the door, they share a meal and discuss terms of betrothal. This is the Jewish way. Right, right. Okay? Just like Jesus says, quote, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Close mm-hmm. quote. That is very meaningful to the Jews because what that meant was Jesus 
knocking on the door and being invited in to sup was a betrothal metaphor. So the scriptures can refer to a bridegroom coming to the door to ask for his bride's hand in marriage. Exactly. And that's the context of the scripture. It occurs in Revelation 3.20. That is the engagement party, the, the betrothal ceremony. Uh, the wedding actually comes at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 21, where there is a great wedding supper and everyone's invited. But now we're still talking about the betrothal ceremony, which happens at the beginning of the book of Revelation. In our next episode, we'll talk further about the engagement party taking place in the council in heaven. I can't wait. That sounds exciting. Thanks so much.